You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. What it do, world? It's your boy Greg EOD, Culture Change Agent, and you back on the Minority Trouble as a podcast. And if you're new to this podcast, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate and empower and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. Every single week, season four starting out mid-August, but you know I had to get my boy on for the special episode. But as always, I got a couple housekeeping things. Want to talk about the tour? Make sure you go get your tickets at gregehill.com backslash MTP live. All the cities have been so much love, man. People pulling up in Rafes and Bentleys. And I mean, I just, I've learned so much and I've been so touched almost to tears as far as the show out and the support from everybody in Atlanta, everybody in Charlotte, everybody in Durham. Um, they're buying tickets that are supporting, even donating. I didn't ask for donation, but just donating to the cause, man. So it means a lot. But here's these couple of housekeeping things. We have a special episode. I know I am on tour. As you've seen online, Greggy Hill on Instagram, Minority Trailblazer on Instagram. Side note, we are updating the Minority Trailblazer Instagram. Shout out to Sydney Evans helping me out with that project. So it will be back and fully functioning within the next week or so, up to date, current, all that good stuff. But if you haven't really noticed, we have been on a U.S. tour, Charlotte, July 15th, July 22nd, D.C. My bad, my bad, my bad. We had Charlotte, July 8th, July 15th, we had D.C., July 22nd, we had Atlanta. And this weekend, if you are in Houston, Texas, Shoot, if you ain't in Texas, you need to be at the event. The Minority Trailblazer Live. Man, it's been crazy, right? Like, so from two to four, we're going to have a small group session. If you're interested in podcasting, writing books, speaking, doing all that stuff, one-on-one with me. From four to five, we actually got Toby. I'm going to mess up his last name, but dope, dope, dope artist, speaker, sign of the ETA, ETA. Eric Thomas is the best motivational speaker in the world, so sign up to him, man. So we're going to be dropping bars, wisdom, all that good stuff. After that, we have our public service announcement where I got three speakers that are going to talk about one topic apiece for 10 minutes. And then we got our four corners of networking, which each corner we're going to have a content expert talking about life, business, entrepreneurship, health, all that good stuff in each corner, man. So I'm excited to have it getting down. So Houston, Texas, if you're in the building, boom. Also, another housekeeping, make sure you leave a review. If you listen to the show one time and you loved it, leave a review. Give us a five-star rating. Go ahead, get that thing out. And share with, share us with a friend. And two, this is exclusive. Exclusive. The Minority Trailblazer Conference tickets are now on sale. Yes, March 2018 is going down, March 9th and 10th at the Durham Convention Center in Durham, North Carolina. And guess what? I got a special. If you 
purchase your ticket within the next week, you get $50 off early bird registration. So make sure you go to MinorityTrailblazer.com or just type in Minority Trailblazer Conference on Eventbrite. It should pop right up. Speakers, all that good stuff. The schedule will be announced pretty soon. Don't worry. If you're in corporate, we got your corporate rate. We get your continuing education, all that good stuff. So you can charge that corporate card and go ahead and get it popping. So I'm so excited, man. Like... The world, and I just first and foremost, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you. I want to slow down real quick and say thank you because without your support, without you buying tickets, without you buying books, without you sharing this with your friends, none of this would happen. Like none of this. And so I am grateful for your support. Um, I'm I'm excited about what's going forward, what's next, because I'm gonna continue shifting the culture. I got a couple things. In the in the pipeline for some other demographics that I'm I'm producing, man, I'm just excited, Joe. And guess what? I will be adding more members onto the team. So the website is going to be updated, and it's going to show you all what we got in store over the next 2017, 2018. So if you have talent, if you want to be on air, and you were in college and high school, definitely hit me up. If you are overseas and want me to come overseas and do live podcasts. Hit me up, Greg, at GreggyHill.com. We take things to a whole other level because of you. Because I want to continue to stretch myself because I want you to look like, yo, I remember when he just had a couple episodes, right? And now we're doing a U.S. tour. Sooner or later, I'm going to do a world tour. And I got some powerful, powerful collaborations going on. But guess what? We staying true. I feel like Sha Glizzy right now. Not Sha Glizzy. T Grizzly right now. We stay true. <laughs> First day in. Right, right. So today's episode is going to be legendary. I listened to it again myself, and there's so many jewels that have dropped, so many nuggets, and man, this is a heat rock. It is a blessing the guy I have on the show. This is going to share it and navigate his journey to be, being because he's a voiceover actor, creative entrepreneur, um, does a lot of crazy stuff in LA, has worked with some huge brands, having a huge health um, care summit, not healthcare summit, but a summit for creative entrepreneurs, and it's just man, like the, his stories, <laughs> his his com- comedy, but more so his finesse with all the life jewels is crazy. So I guarantee this is going to be the best hour and thirty minutes. Yes, I said hour thirty, probably hour forty minutes. You have spent all year, so make sure you tune in and let me read his bio. And let's get to this thing. All right, all right, all right. So he is a writer, voiceover actor, and entrepreneur. And since two thousand ten, he has worked across many facets of entertainment marketing, from production to voiceover, to business development. Currently, he runs Puppy Buddy, a content marketing agency, and he's also a contributing editor for ProMax BDA's Daily Brief out of Los Angeles. As a voiceover actor, he has been noted by the Atlanta Journalist as one of the youngest and most successful voiceover actors in the space, with clients including Toyota, CNN, UFC, and AT&T. His motivational book, Get Your Life, the transforming power of turning fate into fortune spent weeks on the Amazon bestseller list in this category, and he speaks often to audience across the globe, from New York to London to Johannesburg on storytelling in the digital age. And he earned his BA in film in 2010 from Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. So without further ado, I'm excited to introduce my brother, actually he's my fraternity brother as well, Kareem Taylor to the Minority Trouble Podcast. Welcome to the show. Wow. 
That was well said, my friend. <laughs> yeah, man. We just try to I since you are a professional at this, I'm trying to bring a little extra flair, a little extra juice, not no, my bad, sauce, not juice to this thing, man, because uh <laughs> I've been inspired by that uh thing that went viral. Did you see that video? I did. He was trying to explain the difference between juice, juice and sauce, and it was—it actually made sense. It made it made sense, man. So, hey, man, before we we always do on this show, we like to start the show off with a quote from our guests and how they apply that to life. So, take us away, Kareem, man. Give us a quote and share us a story about how you apply it to your everyday life. Wow, I should have wrote down a whole list of things that I actually believe. <laughs> um, well. Uh, this might be a little bit, um, I don't know, sad, but a quote that I apply to my everyday life is suffering is suffering. Mm. So I, I read this book. Um, many people probably have, but it's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Oh. And in the book, he's a he's like a psychologist, but he was in the Holocaust and he talked about his experiences there. But in the book, he talks about how it doesn't matter how you're suffering. Suffering is suffering regardless. So no matter what it is that you feel, so it's not like a level of suffering. And when I kind of think about if I'm going through a hard time in life or if I'm going through something, I kind of use that as like a like a measuring stick and like how should I approach a problem? You know, is this really that serious? Do I even consider this to be suffering? Um, you know, can I move past this? Um, are there worst environments to be in? Um, and so I kind of use that. I, I usually think about that. And this, this is one of like a million quotes, but this just came to mind. Just like, you know, um, suffering doesn't really have like a, a, a measuring thing. It's, it's just, it's something hurts, something hurts. Mm. That's a, that's a great. And before I, before I open it up and kind of give a context of where I want to take this show, what do you, how do you say, cause, um, over the years, how has your adjustment to suffering changed? Um, well, I wrote a whole book about it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my, my whole, um, the first book that I wrote called yep. get your life, yep. um, was, was about my four years, four and a half years living in New York city and kind of mm-hmm. sleeping on the, on the floor in my room in Brooklyn four and years? just, and, and yeah, four years, um, and kind of just going through the motions of trying to being a recent graduate, trying to follow my dreams in New York. Um, but having all the potential in the world to do something great, uh, but sort of being stuck, suffering, feeling like I was stuck. Um, and I think the way that I've changed actually, and this kind of ties into where I'm at right now, which is, um, I started taking matters into my own hands, mm-hmm. um, and started doing what I was capable of doing. Um, but I also realized that I can't do this alone. So like adulting, being an adult is very hard. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. Um, and so I've started doing things like going on retreats, I was, I was, I was working out on a daily, which is like things I just left behind mm-hmm. after, after college. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing more of those kind of things like hiking and retreats and stuff like that and just kind of keeping my mind fresh. Mm, I like that. I like that. And typically we kind of jump right into the normal format of the show, but I, 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 I feel something there. Let's stay here real quick because I want you to talk about those four. And I know there's a lot of context prior to that four years in New York, and we're going to get to that immediately after. But if you could stay in that pocket, those four years in New York, sleeping on a couch, like how did I, I mean, actually, it makes sense. How did it get to that point? And what were the main the main things that that you observed about yourself during those four years? That's a great question. So when I graduated college in 2010, I had two options. I could either be an admissions counselor 
for Clark Atlanta University, mm-hmm. or I could move to New York and become a voiceover actor. Mm-hmm. And I was so enthralled and like excited about the potential to actually do some job that like people said that was impossible that I was like, I have to go to New York to see if this thing is actually possible. Like, and I had already made a couple hundred dollars in school being a voiceover person, just like a local radio in Atlanta. So I was like, I really want to see what this is about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then right before I graduated college, I had landed a commercial on CNN, not just a commercial, but a, a whole campaign. So there was like 15 commercials and I saw the numbers and I was like, okay, I think I'm moving to New York. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, when I graduated, I graduated in May, I graduated in August and then I moved right to New York. Um, and I'm from, I'm from originally from Brooklyn. So it wasn't like I was moving to a city I wasn't from. Mm-hmm. Um, so moved to New York and I started getting my checks from CNN and wow. a bunch of other people, a bunch of other people. Uh, and cause I landed a couple gigs and man, I had like, I don't know, I made like 16 to $20,000 in like a month. What? Um, 16 to 20,000 in a month? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I made I made a lot of money in a very short period of time cuz I had I lucked out and I had landed a couple campaigns. And like this is me just starting out. I mean, so, so I know, as we as we get like how okay, how, what does that look like? Like did you have an actor, I mean, an agent? Did did it come to you like what how did you get those gigs? Yes, so I ended up having yes, so I moved to New York because the the agent that I signed with was like you have to move to New York like this is the best place to do it because when you in New York, you can't do it in Atlanta because all the advertising agencies and the casting producers are in New York and this is like seven eight years ago so now you know a lot of people have moved to Atlanta but in 2010 there was a, there was just you had to go to New York and so they the 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 talent agency that I signed with was in New York. So I went to New York and signed with them. And then like a day, the day after I signed with them, I landed something on Taco Bell. So it was just like, things were really looking up. It was like for all my friends who said I was stupid for moving to New York, I was like, F you. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, yo, yeah, I thought I was stupid. Like I thought this voiceover thing was, was funny. And it was a joke. Like everybody went to to grad school or became teachers or like went to go work on wall street. But like I went to New York and I was like, I'm going to be a voiceover actor. And it sounded mad weird, but it was working out for me. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was something that I was like, okay, this is, this works. So I made all that money and I was like, this is life. Like, this is exactly what I wanted. Cause I had always dreamed of having a job where I didn't have a boss. I didn't have, I could, if I wanted to go to gym at 11 AM, mm-hmm. I could, if I, yeah. if I wanted to go eat at 2 PM, I could, I could do what <laughs> I want on my schedule. So this job sort of fell into that. Like being a voiceover artist fell into that. It wasn't even like I knew I wanted to be a voiceover actor. So anyway, uh, I thought my life was set. Um, After sixteen twenty racks in the first month, I think my life was set too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was the most money I've ever made in my life, and um, yeah, I bought a studio and I started recording from home. And then, like about four to five months after that, things like I just wasn't landing any gigs. Um, so I had like this huge start and. It was like really amazing. But then I, after a while, I wasn't landing any gigs. Like nobody was calling me back. I wasn't getting no callbacks. I wasn't getting any, any good auditions. Um, none, of the, my, none of my clients were calling me. None of the same people were calling me. And then I was starting to get like little gigs. Um, and, and then it just started sort of going real downhill. Now, the advice that everybody gave me was go get a job. My mother even sent me a um uh, I think a, a a package like a employment package for like FedEx or UPS or something like that, um, or no for the state to take a test for the state to like become to work in the courts system um, because people were like you need to just get a job. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'm like, but but you don't you didn't see the checks that I saw. Yeah, because they can't. Yeah, they did not in your head. They didn't see those. Che- yeah, I get you. I get you. I get you. So so I saw the potential. And, and so this isn't the first job I had in life. Right. Like I've had I've had I worked in a tire factory in South Carolina where I made like, I don't know, two hundred dollars a week. And so or less um, my first job, I made like a hundred dollars a week. Um, so. I know what it's like to work, have to work really, really hard manual labor to, to make a buck to survive in America. So when I, when I made like literally probably $1,500 in 15 minutes doing voiceover, I was just like, it's no way in hell you could, you, I could ever do anything else. Like there's no way I can mentally be in an office, sit somewhere for eight hours and make $75 that day. Mm -hmm. I just, it just does. It's just mentally, I was, I was, mentally i was done i just could not do that so i really signed up to suffer pretty much uh i was just like i'm not gonna get a job i'm gonna be i have to make myself available to go on auditions Mm -hmm. and because you never know when something hits it hits and it's the same thing with um with like actors in la for example or new york right like you know they'll they're broke you're broke for like 15 years and then you land at one show <laughs> mm-hmm. and the show is paying you three million dollars and now you you know you're in a you're in another level so I kind of I got paid a lot of money, man, and I just couldn't I couldn't go back. So, you know, I was struggling to pay rent and I was struggling to, to buy a bed. I had an air bed originally and then it broke. And so that's the reason why I was sleeping on the on a box spring on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I just I didn't have any any money and I was just behind on rent and just like suffering, um, not not like not eating fresh groceries and like just horrible. Um, and so I literally just I, I signed up to do that because I was just afraid of what life would be like if I gave in and got a job, mm-hmm. a, a quote unquote traditional job, and then just left my dreams behind. Mm-hmm. So what was the turning point, man? Because I know, I know to get the whole context, they got to get the book. What's the name of the book again? The book is called Get Your Life. Get Your Life. So it's, and we're going to get the plug. It's on KareemTaylor.com, right? Dot co? Yep. KareemTaylor.com. Yep. 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 So you got to get the book to get all the details, but and for reference to this podcast, what was the turning point? Because that is, I know it's kind of hard because I know so many people, some people maybe identify with that. I mean, when you set a, hard, a high benchmark starting from the gate, sometimes it's hard to go low. Like I started speaking, I was making $100 a gig. So my benchmark was incredibly low. Like for the first year, $100 here, 150 here, free gig, free gig, free gig. So as I've been able to jump and get into the four figures and hopefully soon within the next year getting five figures, I still... It's a little different mentally, but I can only imagine if I started off 2,503 and then I had a couple months. So kind of share us your perspective on, um, did like you, I think you already showed your perspective on dealing with that, but when did it kind of turn around and you kind of allowed yourself to, 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 to A, be acquainted with the sacrifice and, and with the suffering, but then move beyond that? Well, in, in a very interesting turn of events, I had got a job. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, about three and a half, maybe four years in, I think, I, I, I decided I got a job at um, this place called the Nomad um, in in New York. And it was it's this fine dining restaurant. And I was a bouncer. What? So my, my job, I, I put on a suit, which I was good at because um, I had a bunch of suits. How big are you, man? Uh, as in my weight? No, like, are you like six three, three hundred? I mean, oh two, two, no, 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 five eleven, five eleven. Okay, I was five eleven, like two thirty when I lived in New York. Okay, um, and so, yeah, uh, yeah. So I was, I got hired to be like this, um, this front door man person, 
to 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 watch the bar at this at this at this restaurant and to me it wasn't it, i was just doing it for money um they said they were gonna pay me like 20 something dollars an hour to just stand there uh and i was like okay cool um <laughs> yeah. so i signed i signed up to do it and it turns out that you know while i was in that restaurant i started seeing people who had went to cornell hospitality school um sommeliers who had went uh to to italy to 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 study their craft um to the managers, the owners who you know had traveled the world and cooked at yes. everywhere and had been on all these experiences, and it was a very inspiring environment that I was in because up to that point, any any all the job environments that I've ever worked in um, were very toxic and very where people didn't want to be there. Right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why initially I never really wanted a real job, quote unquote, because people just. All the experiences I had was like I met people that hated their jobs, that hated their guts, mm-hmm. uh, hated their bosses. So this experience is like people love what they did and they took pride in it. I mean, from from setting tables to to pouring wine. I mean, it was an art to it. And I was really enthralled by it. And I know that this sounds super weird because it has nothing to do with what I'm doing that right now. But this was the case. It was just like yeah. it was inspira- it was inspiration out of nowhere. It was me doing something that I didn't think would actually change me. And so. Um, I, I was having conversations with people and I was just so inspired, like literally so inspired that when something came across my email that said move to L.A., I was like, I'm going to L.A. and I'm going to find work to do th- in this same environment in my industry. Mm. Um, and so I'm in advertising marketing and I'm like, I'm going to find this kind of work environment. I'm so glad I see that this exists where people are cool and it works and people are inspired to go to work every day. Uh, they're working on their terms, even though they work for an organization. So I was inspired, man, by working at the Nomad. I actually talked about that in, in, in the book, too. It was just like it's one of those things that I tell people all the time is that you just never know. I think sometimes you have your life mapped out and you're so wrong about pretty much everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're just so wrong. Because half of us listening to podcasts are supposed to be an NBA or actor. Yeah, you know, it's just like, um, yeah, it's not going to happen the way that you imagine it's going to happen. Just, just based on the way life is, um, you just don't, you don't, you don't know how you're going to get your opportunities. And yeah, so I actually quit. That job was so good that uh, I quit, and I was like, I'm moving to LA um, to go for. I got, I got into this twenty, this, this program um, for talent and entertainment marketing, and I moved to LA for that program. What's the program called? It's called Promo Pathway. Oh, is it still? It's still out. It's still out. It's still out. It's still out. So they they basically teach you how to become a writer, producer, editor in entertainment marketing. So for all the promos, the reason I know about this is that I was in a. Uh, oh, I'm a voiceover actor, so I work with a lot of those producers and a lot of those casting agencies and a lot of those produ- uh, creative directors, uh, editors. So I work with all those people who make the work, but. I was always interested. I became interested in what they do. I'm like, what do you do? Because I, you know, mm-hmm. I like being a voiceover artist, but I also like being more involved. I also like writing. I also like producing and making content. So I was like, I really want to kind of see what I can do on with my skills on the other side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. I so, like that. Mm-hmm. so yeah, I moved to that. That, that job kind of changed the the things for me. Man, that's that's huge. And I can't actually I got to right when I get off the call or either uh, sometime sometime this week and get got to get that book. I want to get the full the full the full story, man, the full story. So as we segue, I want to do a couple things first uh, for the audience. And what we're going to do is we're actually about to jump into kind of his backstory, kind of who you are before before the voice acting, before New York College, getting to that. 
And then I want to talk about your experience as a, a voiceover actor, kind of that industry, some some tools and tips if people are looking to get in that space, um, the speaking, kind of how you got your start in that, and then also your book your book writing process because there's so many authors. I brought a couple authors on this uh, podcast, and I'm an author myself, so I have my own process, but I'm, I'm interested to hear your process. And then after we talk to those tangible things, I do want to talk topical about the importance of uh, articulating ideas. I know you do talks about that. So really messaging, because I know you're a very, very big guy in telling your story in the digital space. We have a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of churches, a lot of people that have phenomenal stories, phenomenal messages. However, they're not doing it the right way. And and it's not correlating to the growth that they want to see in the business as far as revenue and just as far as relevance as well. And right. then um, last I, last but not least, I want to end, end, end our talk on em- embracing vulnerability. I know you have a, um, your weird, embracing your weird talk. So I want to get digging deep about the importance <clears throat> of that. You feel me? Right. So, all right, let's, let's jump all the way back, all the way back in. Well, so man, Kareem, you, you shared us your journey four years on the floor and being a bouncer and then now finding this, this LA agency and all this other stuff. But take us, take us back to the beginning, man. Show us who you're from, kind of your social, um, economical status, your family, like, man, paint the picture of who you are before, um, you kind of became yourself. Whoa. Uh, well, I was living in bed sty. Um, I was born in bed sty, mm-hmm. Brooklyn. And, I lived with my aunt for wow. the first seven seven years of my life um, mm. in Bed Stuy. Who was she was a little bit older, um, and so I was pretty much the only child for about seven years. I didn't really ask any questions. I was just called my I was just called my aunt mom, <laughs> so I didn't I didn't really ask any questions or anything. I didn't really know much. Um, and then um, a series of events happened where my mom got custody of me and. I moved with my mom and three other people who they called my siblings mm-hmm. and it was two sisters and one brother. And I was like, oh, wow. So I had I started a new life. So I moved from Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn to Br- Brownsville, Brooklyn. So I was living in like if you see in Crooklyn, I was living in one of those brownstones that mm-hmm. was just like beautiful. And uh, uh, I was living in one of those neighborhoods where like everybody knew, knew each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved to Brownsville where it was like. Everybody wanted to fight me for some reason. <laughs> it was just like, why does everybody want to fight me? Like, I'm just like, I, mean, I was generally like a nice kid um, and I just didn't want any problems. But I moved to Brownsville with, with my mom and then it turned into like this whole this whole toxic environment that we lived in. The house, not, not so much, but just the neighborhood that we lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I moved with my mom and kind of just started to get to get introduced to a, a new life. And then we moved from there to East New York, Brooklyn and all around. And um, I think I started getting into, into the creative side of my life when I got into this program when I was about 13, 14 years old. It's called Art Start. Mm-hmm. Um, so Art Start. Yeah, I found this flyer in gym in gym class in ninth grade. And it was like, do you want to be a rapper? And I was like, yep. I was one of those. I was actually a rapper. So I was like me and my cousin Dominic used to rap um, in our neighborhood in Brownsville. So uh-huh. We would um we would do like you know street ciphers and stuff like that and I literally 
um, they used to write my rhymes for me, and I used to just say them. Um, oh, so I didn't wow. start out like <laughs> you got ghostwriting early right. in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've always kind of knew the power of like having a ghostwriter, and uh-huh. um, you know, just be, being the executor of things, and that'll actually show up later in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like people used to write my rhymes, but I used I was considered like one of the best rappers on the block. Um, <laughs> like literally, I was really good um, just at delivering it. Um, so I got really popular and so we started recording music and everything. So when I saw this flyer, I was like, I want to be, I want to be a rapper. And it was like, you know, you could put out an album and all this stuff. So the, the flyer had a big promise. So I showed up to art start, which was like this nonprofit group in, um, Soho. Mm-hmm. And and if you know anything, if you if you're from Brownsville or you're from the hood, you, and you go to the nice area in your town, mm-hmm. uh, you know you you feel all like like you don't belong and like it's weird and like you know what I mean. So yeah. I kind of showed up to this area, this building in Soho, and like went up to the tenth floor and yeah. went for this audition thing that they had, and um, I didn't get picked to be to to be to join the program. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't I didn't even get up like they were doing like auditions to like stand up and show it to guy. I didn't get picked. Um so I left that day and I was just like, yeah, that's not gonna work out. So I ended up calling like two weeks later, like, hey, did you did you every did y'all pick everybody? And the guy that picked up was like, I think they picked everybody for the hip hop project, which was what which was what that was. Um but we still have we have some room left in the media works project. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is that? And he was like, well, we do Photoshop and we do like video editing and we do all this cool stuff. Um, you know, if you're interested, you can come by and just we can have a conversation about it. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't even know what that is. But <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, I was I was the building was nice. So yeah, I was like, the, sure. the building was a hey, 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 environment, environment. <laughs> The environment was nice, and I was like, I gotta, I, I'm gonna check this out. So I went, and the, the, the man that was on the phone, his name is Hector Arias, and yeah, he, he, we, I went to Artstart, and he's like, sat me down and talked to me about like what the video is, and like Photoshop, and Final Cut Pro, and like iMovie, and like just started showing me all this stuff I had never heard of before. And I got into this, I got into the program, and I started doing um, video editing. I started editing series, like they had a bunch of series, like public access shows that I started editing. And, music video shows um like i was a i mean i was an apprentice for a while just kind of like watching them as they film stuff like i didn't even know cameras i didn't even know that like how people get different angles of stuff like i mean like that's where i was and so that's what i learned in that program kind of like how cameras work and how production works and all that stuff so that kind of opened up my world of media that was my first time like seeing that people actually make a living doing this stuff um, because this program was actually sponsored by Russell Simmons. Oh wow! Um, and his um, Rush Philanthropic Organization. So they were getting a lot of money, and they had a lot of resources to like do stuff for us. Um, and so they were bringing speakers, like high-powered speakers who worked in the business and in the industry. Um, some people who looked like us, people were black people, and people, some people were not black. Um, but they were just showing us, you know, what's possible. I started getting this thing where I started feeling like anything was possible. Um, I always had this feeling that anything was possible. When I started seeing people making a living doing this weird school stuff that wasn't like what my mom did or my uncles did. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like a construction job or they didn't work for the city. So I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. These, they're actually making a living doing this stuff. So I saw this with my own eyes. So I started believing it was possible. Um, but through that organization, I was actually able to go to, on a college tour, which sent me to, to the school I ended up going to. Um, to Clark Atlanta, um, but I also ended up getting my first job at BET, um, and that is sort of what launched wow. um, 
my career into journalism, at least. I, I, I interned for BET.com, was interviewing a bunch of people that was going to 106 in Park and all of the shows that they had in the early 2000s, um, which all of that stuff went on BET.com. So, yeah, that was that was kind of like where that's like a little short story of like <laughs> where like some of the beginnings before I actually before like before college and all that stuff. Like that's kind of like the short version of leading up to my creative ambitions. Man, that's still that's a lot to, to a lot to pick apart, man. I mean, joining yeah. the programs for the environment with Russell Simmons, uh, BT. That's that's and that was in high school. You were one of season part BT. Yeah, man. And that, that was when it was school. like the peak, right? That was peak. AJ Free, like every yeah. every time yeah. when you got home, you watching the, the top 10, like what? That's yeah. crazy. Like, I mean, I was a celebrity in school, to be honest with you. You had um, to be. I was a celeb. I got a, I got a lot of girls off of that. I'm not even going to lie. I'm hey, not going to hold you up. If you could show us, man, what was the, what was the <laughs> craziest experience you had working at uh, 106? What was the craziest? Yeah, like crazy experience or like and not crazy like wow, but just crazy is like, whoa, this is this is crazy. This is what really goes on because I mean we I grew oh. up listening the many people on this podcast grew up watching it. So kinda just take us behind the scenes real quick. What what, what kind of stuff you see? Well, I, I could tell you two experiences. One was um when I had the opportunity to to interview Master P. And it's not even a crazy experience. It was just my experience where it was just like there were a lot of people I interviewed at BT, like Diddy, uh, everybody. Uh, is, the list goes on. But when I when I walked in the room with Master P, I started shaking for some reason, and I I don't know why I was shaking. I don't know why I was so nervous, but I was so nervous to interview Master P. He was such a cool such a cool dude. But I had grew up listening to Master P. Um, even though I was living in Brooklyn, I kind of grew up listening to him. I had all his albums. Well, my stepfather had all his albums and. Mm-hmm. All, all the No Limit albums, and so I grew up like listening to Mia X and like Silk the Shocker, Master P, like Snoop Dogg when he was with No Limit. Like I, I, I had that whole collection. So when I walked in the room to interview this man, I just like, like my throat got dry and like I, I couldn't say anything. It was mad weird. Like <laughs> I was wow. like, why do I? Why am I like choking up like this? Um, <clears throat> that was a weird experience for me. Um, but also. I think what was crazy is just kind of being around AJ and free. It's not like they know me. We don't know each other, mm-hmm. uh, but being in the BET offices and kind of just like being around these people and kind of just seeing them regular, like just being in the office, like that was just mad, random, uh, uh, unbelievably real. Um, and it kind of made me um, a, a, a little celebrity in, in school because I had pictures with all of these mm-hmm. celebrities and I was like 15, 16 Selfies years old before the selfie. Yeah. I had selfies before the selfies. <laughs> we were we well, we were invited to like all the you know all the parties, all the like wow. Rockefeller Rockefeller and diplomats was like huge at this particular what, time. Killer so, Kim, bro, Killer Kim, come yeah, with yeah. the gang of gangs, the gang of bay animals, orangutans, yo. Yeah. Oh well, I can tell you this is I, yeah. I guess one of the crazy experiences I had at B, and this wasn't even at the location itself, but I went to one of um. Uh, the diplomats show they had this huge show like they were hot they had this huge show at the apollo in harlem and we had the opportunity to interview them and i was the cameraman so i had like the, the, the headphones on and like the camera and we knew that we were going to interview them after the show mm-hmm. so i mean they were hot so they had like um, a bunch of tour buses outside and they were like you're gonna go meet him at the tour bus so literally when it's over we're the diplomats the Joel santana specifically walks outside of the back and there's like fucking hundreds of girls uh-huh. hundreds <laughs> of girls who are just like screaming and once him he starts running towards his tour bus and all of the girls start running towards him like 
to, like with him. It was the weirdest thing. It's like one of those things you see in, in the early Michael Jackson videos <laughs> where like he's like he's like in Uganda or something and like all the kids are like banging on the on the tour bus. Um, but yeah, it's like that's what it looked like. So we like went inside his tour bus and like interviewed him and like had this really cool interview. Um, with him but that was one of the craziest things i saw because i never really realized i never really saw that in person and Mm -hmm. then also had access to the superstar myself Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it was just kind of one of those weird kind of things and i was like 16 doing this wow Um, that's crazy yeah quick question man how was it like interviewing diddy man diddy was was interesting i think because at the time this is like when jerseys were really big so he had like this is weird that i remember this but he had this astro jersey on and they were like really big in Harlem at the time. So in New York at the time, but I just remember him him wearing that. But interviewing him was cool, man. Diddy was a was a really cool dude. It was interesting to, to be around him at that time. I think it was like I wanna s I can't remember what song, what why he was there. Uh, I wanna say the Biggie Duets or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, it was it was kind of a crazy experience, man. Um I, I couldn't believe that I would be talking to somebody like sean diddy combs yeah man that's huge that's um, huge man yeah and it was the people that i worked with so i worked with a, 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 the three guys mike street um black spot and chuck creekmer who's the founder of allhiphop.com so they were like my mentors when i was there and they were just they were so happy to have an intern that they just let me do whatever i wanted to do so that's how i got to interview these people so it was really their job but they were like all right you want to do it because you know once you're in the industry for a while you get tired of interviewing these people <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they just gave me all even if it's diddy whatever you know so they just gave me all of this work so i was actually out there interviewing all these people um you know and they were just like just go ahead and do it you got the questions okay cool just go do it so working under them i was able to just kind of go and interview like a, a bunch of people from fantasia the trina jaheem anybody that was the band i went i went to bad oh, boy the, to interview the, the band the band it's crazy <laughs> it was around this time it was the too hot for tv album <laughs> uh yeah like they uh so i interviewed um everybody from from every label man like the list goes on man that's crazy that's crazy that's crazy man you bring me back down memory lane man i'm writing down songs I, right after you go i gotta do some snap songs that's cool man so yeah i mean i, I could i could say this at the, i think one of the things i always remember is that there was this one girl who i went to high school with who always showed up to 106 apart because you you could be in the audience as many times as you like mm-hmm. um at 106 Park, but people will wait outside to, for the celebrities to come in. Um, so there was this one door um, on 50, I think it's on 57th Street. There's this one door on 57th Street where BT, where the CBS studios is, where they did 106 Park. And there's literally the door where the celebrities go in. And I remember this girl that I went to high school with. Well, every time I came to work, which is around three o'clock, four o'clock um, p.m., she would be standing outside of that door. And I'm like, why is she standing there? Like, I never understood. And then I realized that that's where the celebrities go in. So she would literally be there all the time, like to see whoever was coming into the, the building. Um, and I just thought that was hilarious. Cause I was just like, damn, she's like really standing there. Um, and just, that's where, that's her spot. Like, she's, not even just go- she's not even just going to the show like she just she's that's her spot she just wants to see a celebrity say hi to grab a picture real quick hey, man. Um, so i thought that was real that was real dedication so before we jump because i'm gonna jump right into la right when you hit the ground there and then we're gonna jump into some some tangible stuff for our audience because i think they got just enough off the story behind the scenes but if you can if you can take away two um two points that can apply to, to, to our audience because uh from that experience just in general new york young age and through all you just discussed man what will your two biggest takeaways be 
you're never going to be qualified to do something. Mm. So when I was young, I mean, I'm experienced, I experienced when I was 15, what people experience when they're 28, 29, I'm 29 right now. The things I did at 16 is what my friends are doing right now here in LA. Like people who are at every Tyrese party, Tyrese like opens up his house here and like has events and stuff like that. We go, people go, people go to Justin Bieber's house. People go to all these things happening or to the, to the vodka event, the Budweiser open bar thing. I'm like, I was doing that when I was 16 years old Mm -hmm. and a lot of people thought it was unrealistic, but it was like every, every opportunity that I saw. I went after it early, like early. Like, I mean, my ambition was much stronger when I was 16 than it is right now mm. um, because I was so I was so hungry to get in, to get started, to get experience that I took every opportunity. So not only was I interning at BT, um, but I was also getting paid at 16 to work at BT. So not even like I was doing this for free. So I was not qualified to be an intern at BT. When I was interning there, a lot of people were uh, 25, 26 graduated from college. Everybody had went to Howard or Hampton or Clark Atlanta. They went to all these schools and they were interning there. And I was 16. So the, what I take away from that is that you're just never qualified. And a friend of mine, Jim Vassero, who's a, uh, a SVP at Sony Pictures, he said to me that he never got a job he was qualified for. And essentially that's the case. You only get what you ask for and you only get what you strive for. And so that's something that I've carried my whole entire life where it's for me, it's not about smoke and mirrors. It's not about fronting for cameras because I know what's possible. I know what's out there. Um, so I'm not here to really pretend to be something that I'm not. Um, and I don't need things to, to prove that this is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Luckily for me, I did it when I was 16. So there's a lot of things that I just really don't care about in terms of um, perception. So it kind of helps me a lot. I feel like with my self-esteem, <laughs> mm. uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's something that's important for us, self-esteem and confidence and how we appear to other people. So for me, it was something that I feel like I knocked out early in life and I've been able to sort of be behind the scenes a lot more and focus on what's really important mm-hmm. in my own life as an adult because of those experiences. So, but you never get a job that you qualify for. That's one. Mm-hmm. Jump right into LA. You touched down, you got the email, you joined the agency, you touched right down to LA. What's the first thing you do and how'd you gain footing and um, kind of get you on the trajectory where you are today? Well, the first thing I did, I was like, I'm never working in restaurants again. I don't <laughs> care how, 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 how broke I am or whatever, you know, if it comes down to dire streets, I'm not working in a restaurant. Uh, Cause I was like, why would I move to LA and work in another restaurant? That's, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and the first job I got when I moved to LA was at a restaurant. Um, and so I started working at this restaurant in LA because things were just moving real slow. So I was in the program, but the program wasn't paid or anything like that. So it still had to work. So I had to pay my bills. Um, and so literally started working at this restaurant. I got fired from that restaurant and I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna leave LA. Mm-hmm. And this is like, this is like maybe a year of being in LA. I was like, I think I'm going to leave because this is not working out. I don't know why I dropped everything because I feel like in life I keep making these stupid decisions. So I left Atlanta. I dropped everything I had going for myself in Atlanta um, and moved to New York. I dropped everything I had going for myself in New York and moved to L.A. And it was just like it feels like I keep making that decision and just drop everything and move like everything I have going for myself. So I was like, I'm going to do the same thing again. I'm I'm just going to drop what I'm doing here in L.A. and just go back to New York um, and just use this strategy in New York. Um, I was like, if I don't get this job at this, at this creative agency, I'm leaving. Like I'm literally leaving. Um, but it was this job that I really wanted working at this, um, creative advertising agency. And I was like, if I don't get it, I'm, I'm leaving. So 
literally like the day before I was going to like buy a one way flight to New York. Mm-hmm. I get this email that's like saying, hey, Kareem, congratulations. We would like to offer you a job. And I'm like, I'm staying in L.A. I'm going to be here. I'm going to stay. Um, it is like 2014, I think. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm going I'm to I'm I'm rough this out. Um, this is like I've never wanted a job as bad as I wanted to work here because I found out that they, um, you know, they have a really nice working environment. They have really inspiring offices and all this stuff in Hollywood. So I was like, I really want to work there. So got the job that I wanted. And I just kind of I've been here since then. Mm, I love that. I love that. that short, short story. Yeah, short, short, because we, we've already got, like, I'm telling you, <laughs> we got, we got a lot of good stuff, man. We a lot of good stuff. So let's get actionable. Let's get practical, right? So let want to talk about three things. First thing I want to talk about voiceover. For those people that are interested just in it, cause I know, even though you're in voiceover, but I know you're, you, you kind of know how to move in the entertainment space as well. And I know a lot of people reach out via, via LinkedIn and all these platforms about, and they're always interested in, how to how to get on in LA? Like how do you move? So what would you, what would you what, if somebody that's interested in getting into the entertainment industry, um, not in LA, just in general, what would be from your experiences the best practices? A just in general, and then if you can get specific with people that are um, considering voice acting. Great. So one of the challenges I had with getting into voiceover was that I kind of lucked out. I was just a kid in, majoring in film. Um, and so I worked at this production company in Atlanta called Rainforest Films. Rainforest Films was a production company that was um, helmed by Will. I was about to call him Will Power Packer, but that is his name. Will Power Packer mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah, and woof. Rob Hardy. Big dude. Big, um, big meeches. Right, right, right. So I, I worked with them in Atlanta for um, for like a year and a half um, interning. And so I was in Atlanta to be a film director. I was not there to be a voiceover actor. Um, and so I'm only saying this because I was – just kind of found out about voiceover. I just kind of fell in. So I through Rainforest, I met a producer at CNN. Like this is how the CNN connection happened. Um, and yeah, it was like through Rob Hardy. She knew Rob Hardy, so she was like, she was like cool to know me. Um, so yeah, I connected with her, and then I landed a commercial on CNN. Like that's how I got into voiceover. Um, but a lot of people who got into voiceover like lived in LA or was on radio for 25 years, or they like worked in LA for like years and like did something else. They were like editors and they saw the invoice for voiceover and they was like, I need to do voiceover. So these people had like relationships mm-hmm. in the business. Me, I did not have any relationships in this particular business. So I was just kind of working off of working really hard and hustling what I thought I was doing, um, hustling and that, oh, I'm going to be so good what the book, the book says, so good that they can't ignore me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got that book right in front of me. <laughs> right. Sometimes it doesn't matter how good you are. It's not really about how good you are. It's about, it's about who knows you and mm-hmm. who trusts you to carry out a function, to carry out a task that they need done. And if they can't trust you to carry out a task that they need done, then you can't get that job. It's just that simple. So, um, and no matter how good you are, uh, so I literally was like, I need to move to LA strategically so I can build relationships from the inside out. At the end of the day, I want to do voiceovers, right? So that 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 has to that that is still in my realm, um, but I'm working from the inside out. I'm pretty much working backwards. Um, so th- this program is in entertainment marketing. These like whether I'm a voiceover actor or I, or I write. Um, promos for a tv network um i still need to be a part of this organization that brought me out here so 
um, I took the, the I took the backward way in. So I'm like finding another way in to build relationships. So I'm meeting all the heads of production, meeting all the casting producers, meeting all the producers, um, the creative directors, the editors, um, the music producers. I'm meeting all of these people in L.A. and building these relationships, um, which is in turn actually turning into voiceover work in a very weird way, um, because uh, that's you, you can't get the work if you don't have the relationship. So I have infiltrated the system so to speak, um, and meeting the people. And so it, the advice that I give you was that you have to, it's about relationships. So it's, it's about who knows you, mm-hmm. knows that you exist and who trusts you to produce that work. Um, because I literally serve a function. If you know that you need a voiceover, some, if you're doing like, um, like most recently I did something from Mercedes Benz in China, they, uh, I'm a, I'm a, from Brooklyn. So I have this natural swagger, this natural flavor. So they know that they, if they call me, they're going to get that natural swagger flavor through that voiceover. So I I'm serving a function, but also I know the person who's producing this spot. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the cheat code, but that's the way that things get done. And it's so difficult to make a way for yourself in the world, no matter what it is that you do, that you have to focus on building those relationships. You have to focus on being um, known. And I'm not talking about people being your best friend, but you have to focus on building those relationships and getting in front of people, as many people as possible, so that they know who you are. Um, and so that when you're, you, so when something comes up, you're, you're first of mind. Mm-hmm. So that's the advice I give people that it has nothing to do with voiceover. Mm-hmm. So it's not like going to going to take a class or something like that or how to i don't know make your voice better or something like that i'm a little bit more practical like you need to build your relationships it's not about that mm, and when you say that because let's 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 dig one level deeper building relationships because i think um all right so so most people don't don't really get that but those that do what's that all right once you a how do you really cultivate a real relationship when you really have kind of maybe no leverage and then be once you once like what is what does that look like like can you give me an example yeah, let's make it practical right so give me an example of a relationship that you have kind of developed and nurtured and then how that led down the, down the, down the back line well i can use the cnn example okay. i can talk i can talk about daniel levine so daniel i added and i'm gonna this is exactly how it happened I was doing a project for Rob Hardy. I was I was um, uploading videos on the official Rainforest Films page on you on Facebook, and I had they gave me these business cards to add people on the, to the Facebook group. So I saw Daniel Levine, a supervising producer at CNN, and I was like, "Oh, this is a person that works at CNN." Well, I think I'm gonna add this person on my Facebook page. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, not just his Facebook page. So I didn't know that. I don't, I don't know this person. I don't know who Daniel Levine is. I just saw that there's a business card. So I added Daniel onto my Facebook page. A couple of months later, I posted a demo. I was, oh, I posted a Facebook status and I was like, Hey, Hey y'all. And I wasn't talking to anybody in particular. I was just like, Hey y'all, I'm working on a voiceover demo. Do you know where I can go to record it in Atlanta? And this woman, Daniel Levine responded to my status and said, Hey, I don't know where you can record it, your voiceover demo, but when you're finished with it, please send it to me. So she left her email. It was like Daniel something at CNN.com. You know when you get one of those official emails from somebody's workplace? Yep. And you like you feel like you got the end? Um, anyway, I was so excited when I saw that, and I was like, okay, this is my this, this is an interesting opportunity. So uh-huh. once I got my demo done, I literally uh, sent the demo over. She said she listened to the demo. She loved it. 
uh, the second phase of that relation of that of that thing was coming to CNN. So luckily, my school was just a few minutes away from CNN in Atlanta. So I literally walked like 15 minutes to the CNN center. She was like, you want to come for coffee? So I went and met her for coffee first. So she wasn't first like all bringing me to her offices. She wanted to get to know me. So went and had coffee. And we talked about agencies getting into voiceover, um, you know, who, what they, who the agencies are, what, you know, other voiceover actors and how they did it. Uh, she's just being really generous with her time, really generous with, with her information and kind of breaking down the business to me. And this is just literally our relationship is just growing like organically, just like, OK, you know, let's just see. Not only is she helping me out, but also she's helping herself out because she, she works with voiceover talent. Um, there's a lot of money banking on these campaigns. So for her, it's an advantage as well. So I think when, when it comes to relationships on a practical level, it's like, you know, there has to be something in it for everybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. even if it comes from a good place. Um, um, and I think for, for Daniel, it it comes from a good place. So yeah, she, she invited me to see it and we did the coffee and then uh, a couple of weeks, we did that a few times and then she ended up bringing me to the office to audition in front of the whole creative marketing team. Uh, and so it was a bunch of producers and they, I mean, if you know anything about CNN, they have like a bunch of shows. So they, these multi-million dollar campaigns, like budgets and all this stuff. So interviewed, uh, auditioned in front of all of this, all the team and, um, like seven producers ended up hiring me after that over the course of years. Um, I mean, I was a voice of black in America for like five or six years, um, just from that initial thing. But yeah, from a, on a practical level of building relationships, it's just like, that's how I, I built it. I literally reached out on Facebook. I'm really good about, um, the power of the internet and the power of taking o- online offline um, and, and, and using people sort of using names and relationships to say, Hey, yeah, I work with Rob Hardy and Will Packer in Atlanta, in Atlanta. So, you know, and I, and I wanted, and I saw we were mutual friends. So I just wanted to reach out and, you know, see about this particular thing, or I know so-and-so from this place. And, you know, they recommended I, t- I, t- I chat with you. Um, you know, so you, you're the best person to talk to. A lot of times when I talk to voiceover people, most people don't live in L.A. and New York, right? You might have a lot of listeners who, like, don't live in L.A. or New York. And they mm-hmm. live, like, let's let's say they live in mm, Kansas City, Charlotte. Let's say they live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you, you don't have access to – NBC just, just doesn't have studios right there. But they do. So a lot of what I tell voiceover actors who live in those cities is I'm like, you know, you live at near NBC 46 or whatever or NBC 2. Uh, in your town and there's a staff there and there's a production team there and there's a local television station there um, and there's relationships to be built there. Um, so when you go online, you go on the NBC website in your town and you check out who works there. You know, that's how you get your in. It's like, hey, I saw you. I saw your name come up in the credits and I just wanted to find out more about what you do. Uh, you know, I've been doing voiceover, I don't know, at the at the local school or announcing the games at, at, at uh, in, in Charlotte, you know, for the basketball team. And, you know, I'm thinking I have a shot at this voiceover stuff. That, that's how you build relationships. You know, so you, it's, it's like coming in and, and telling somebody what it is that you do, but also complimenting them on their work mm-hmm. um, and, and acknowledging them. This is just Maslow's hierarchy of needs, really just, you know, acknowledging people and, and giving respect to people, but then also um, promoting yourself. Yeah. And yeah. that's the, that's the way that I take. Yep, I love that. I love that. Like acknowledging them. Also, make sure you have a clear example of how they can help you and how you need help. Like once you, that relationship is built, because a lot of times people come and they don't really know how they need help. And they want the person right. that they want to help to kind of uh, do all the work to, 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 to find out how they can help. So it doesn't make right. sense. And also, too, to add to that. 
for those of you that, especially if you're older, because if you're young, you have a little bit of grace. Like high school students, you can go with the ass of, oh, I, I, I saw this here. But I also challenge for my older people that listen. And when I say older, 20, 22 and up, have some experience. Um, come with, come with the value add. I already know how you can add value. So say, for instance, if I, I'm not going to just, if I was, say, for instance, Greg, Mm-hmm. If I wanted advice on how to get into the voiceover industry after this podcast, a the easy way to be like, oh, I reach out via LinkedIn and send an email. You may reply, but I would the the way I would probably take, I would buy the book. Honestly, I may read a chapter. I would read the whole thing, but say if I just wanted just to to, to get to the point, I read a chapter and I'm like, hey man, I just purchased your book. I read this chapter. I was really moved. Um, I was just wondering, could X, Y, and Z? That's a little right. bit better, or like just. Make it in in the day. If I, if I know you invested some part of your time, your finances, or something already, and then ask, I'm way more liable to give you 20 minutes of my time rather than you say, okay, hey man, can I pick your brain? And hey, you haven't bought no books, you haven't commented on anything, you know, you don't follow me on no social media networks. It's nothing. <laughs> like it doesn't that doesn't make any sense, right? And, and especially right. if you're not well, it's not a well articulated pitch. Because I remember when you reached out for the podcast, like well articulated. Hey, I heard this episode. I was moved by this. Even if you only listen to five minutes of the episode, I already was like, yo, regardless of, I, even if I don't know him like that, one, you were already reputable because I, I looked you up online. But two, you mentioned something that from an episode, a concrete moment. And I said, yo, in, in June, in my back of my head, and it's, it's sad, but you've been on my follow up list. I said, as long as he allows it, I'm going to do another podcast with him because I know he reached out from a great place and I got to make sure it gets done. But there's so many people that reach out every single day, and I'm not, and I'm like a mid tier, and not even mid tier mm-hmm. yet. But they probably reaching out to mega influencers. I guarantee, say, like Charlemagne, right? People that say I want to intern for Charlemagne. Mm-hmm. I, I guarantee, if you buy ten of his books and be like, "Yo, I just gave ten of books to this classroom," and and you record the classroom kind of saying a thank you, and you reach out to him, nine times out of ten, somebody on his team is going to reply. That's an easy setup. But when you just email him a, a random email like, "Yo, I'm inspired by your journey. Can I intern?" So just have that, just think about outside the box ways how you can add value to somebody. And I guarantee whether they're a high level influencer or not, you're, you're halfway ahead of the game than most people just do a cold emails. Right. I love that, that you, that you said that, you know, one of the things that I, that I always say is that you're going to fail a lot of times and I fail a lot like every day. Um, I make sure that I reach out in creative ways. Some things don't work. Like, I mean, I mean, I've literally made people upset and angry with me because I don't follow up like they might introduce me to somebody and um, I may follow up weeks later or just not in enough time. Like there's literally uh, two people who got upset with me about that. Um, And I mean, like I reached out to people where they're like, you know, next time you send this, you need to put it in a PDF format or next time you do this or some people who just don't respond to me Um, over the course of 15 years. I've been doing this. Um, And so. I, I tell people like, don't take yourself too seriously. So don't, mm. don't, don't, don't. You, you're you're gonna feel like 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 our instance worked out, right? So I listened to your show and I had and I listened to and I I like sat through the whole thing when I was at the gym, and so for me like that's that's one instance that just that worked out perfectly. But then there's like 15 other instances that's just 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 horrible. It's just <laughs> it's just the worst way to go about it, but it's also a learning experience. So it's like for every one thing that works out, there's going to be like 15 or 20 things that don't work out. And it's just like you have to continue hitting the board, hitting the board, hitting the board, seeing what works, what doesn't work so that you can refine yourself because one thing you talked about and that I'm very passionate about is people not knowing what they want. And a lot of us don't know what we want. 
want. And I think that's human to not know what we want. And so we rely on each other because we're humans. And, you know, put it like this. If, if we were on Mars and and it was just me, if I woke up on Mars tomorrow and it was just me and I didn't see anybody else around and in the distance, it looked like it looked like Greg, like it looked like you. I would be the happiest person alive. Mm-hmm. I would be I would be excited to see you that there's a, another person like me on this Mars. Like there's another human being here. And I know we're going to get each other as soon as we talk, even if we never met. And human connection is like that right now where it's just like, yeah, like not everybody's going to be um, not everybody's going to approach you the right way or not everybody's going to um, be willing to help you or all of this stuff, but I always say don't take yourself too seriously so much that you think that everything has to be perfect. Because at the end of the day, we're still human. Life goes on. There was life before you. There's life after you. So for me, it's just like continue reaching out to people, continue doing what you do, and do not do not think that one thing is your big break, right? Like I remember I had Kanye West's number. This is a random story, but I remember I had Kanye West's phone number because I interviewed him in Sony Studios with Chuck Chuck Creekmer of all hip hop. Uh, in like 2004, 2005. And I had got Kanye West's number and I got um, his manager's number. And so I thought that was it. Uh-huh. Me and my boy went back to Brooklyn and I was like, yo, I just got Kanye's number. You go to the, the club, like, pop a bottle. Yeah, dog, mm-hmm. I thought I was in. All right? I, and, and so I was a little hurt when like, I think I hit him up and like nobody responded <laughs> or something like that. Uh, and so like I literally, but, but that instance has happened so many times in my life where I realized that Everything is your big break. Everything that happens to you mm. is your big break. You don't know which one mm. you're going to choose. So sometimes people put a lot of pressure on themselves. For instance, they, they might look at Greg Hill's show as the show to be on. And that is right. It is the show. It mm. is the show to be on. Minority Trailblazers is the show to be on. Mm. But someone in this world is looking at this as the show, and they should be. But if they don't get to be on it, their dreams are going to be crushed. Because they put a lot of pressure on themselves to say that this is the show that's going to launch everything for me, yeah. when in reality it's it's a collusion. It's 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 a it's a it's a collusion of events that occur, that brew together to create something yeah. to create a moment wow. that that creates change for yourself. My goodness, man! That that segment right there, that that two minutes, yo, this is already this is already in my top two, top one of this season, man. Like this far wow. because that, that like. It's just so real. Every moment is your biggest moment. Like every single opportunity. I don't care if it's a YouTube in uh, a, a YouTube interview with somebody with like ten subscribers. Many of us would look there like, nah, I'm not. But it'd be the people that just now getting on, not even on yet, did not taking opportunities because it doesn't look right. And I'm like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. But I love the part you said. And I'm gonna take this to heart because I needed that moment. I needed it as well. Is you said, do not take yourself so seriously. Like it's not the end of the game. It ain't. If you reach out to somebody, they don't email you back. It's not like that shouldn't throw off your whole day. It's not right. (laughs) Right. Because you we don't know context. Like you might we we just don't know on their end. It could be baby mama drama. It could be work. It could be they just looked at it. They didn't care. I mean, there's so many things in this world that can happen. There's more important than a a cold email. So, I mean, if it's wow, that is huge. Don't if so many people stop taking themselves so seriously, man, people would live so much more authentically. Right. Like, but why do you, why do we think what I'm trying to even think uh, on the fly? What causes us to, to? I mean, of course, we're inherently selfish individuals, but what causes us to take ourselves so damn seriously? Well, you know, I I don't I don't know. I just know that humans are different. So 
different levels of IQ, different levels of the way that they see the world. Um, we all think differently. Um, you could have a bunch of, you could have five siblings grow up in the same house and all five siblings are different people um, and don't have the same likes and dislikes. One went to college, the other dropped out, right? Uh, one went to jail, the other did something else with their life. Um, and so you have all these people who are very different in thinking. Um, and I'm not sure why people, some people think that, for example, like one, like I have, I have a friend of mine who, Everything that I do, he thinks is like my big break. And I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm just very humble. I do a lot. I mean, I do, I do, I'm not, I do a lot of major work. Uh, a lot of things of what I've, a lot of things that I've done, I can't, I, I know that I, it's rare for me to have done that. And I'm excited that that's a part of my life and my history now. Um, but uh, he, 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 a lot of times, like, if I meet somebody, he'd be like, yo, you didn't get his number. You don't know him. You know, it's like, it doesn't work like, it doesn't work that way. It just, that's not how it works. You know, it's like, Sometimes you you don't you can't push a moment past this moment. You can't push things and force things into into happening. Um, all you can do is take the moment for what it is a moment. Uh, you can take advantage of a moment, yes. Um, but I think some people the way that we see opportunities is totally different. When I was in when I when I interned at um, Rainforest Films, the way I got that internship was I was walking past the Mass Media Arts Building and there was like a poster up and it was like internship fair. Now, someone at the time, and you talk about context, someone at the time saw that and was like, oh, well, I have to take my kid to school that day. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, I have a class at that time. Or, oh, um, it didn't say paid, so mm, I'm not going to that. I, I got a job at Radio Shack. Well, I'm going to do a free internship. Mm -hmm. But I, I looked at that and said, Rainforest Film's going to be there. I'm showing up. And that's what I did. And so I think for me, and what I tell people all the time, is like it's about seeing the opportunity within something that doesn't even appear to be an opportunity, but it's really what people consider to be opportunity, right? So it's like really point of view. So for some people, it's opportunity. For some people, it's not. And it's really just kind of like how you see it. So for me, it was like, okay, Rainforest Films is going to be there. That's a cool organization. I'm going to go and check out this internship fair. And so people ask me like, oh, how'd you work with, with these people? It's like, well, I saw that flyer and I saw opportunity in that. And sometimes People just everybody has a different version of what opportunity is based on what they've been through in life and what they've seen. Like if I never knew my aunt was a cleaner and she took me to work with her one time, like she like was she would clean rich people's homes and apartments in New York. And she took me to this apartment in Union Square, 14th Street. And I, like it was all it was high rise. Beautiful. Walked in this apartment. It was like a black dude that owned that was like did something on the Lion King. So he had like platinum like plaques on the wall. And I, and I didn't know it was possible until I saw it. So a lot of people uh, don't know about certain opportunities or certain things are possible. So it kind of creates their own mindset and their own point of view. Uh, and so it's like if you know that something's possible, if you know that something's real, then you, then you have a different approach to it. If you don't know that it's real. Uh, if you don't know that it's possible, then that's the approach that you take to it. Mm. I hope that made sense. No, that was uh... that made, that made a lot of sense. <laughs> we could briefly, because I think we've talked about it on many podcasts before, but people still continue to ask about um, the book writing process. And I've explained mine at, at, at length, so I'm not going to go into mine. But if you could briefly break down your process on how you uh, storyboarded your book and how did you go about uh, publishing it? Storyboarding my book. Wow. Um, well, I didn't. So the first thing I did was I decided I was going to write a book. That, that was a decision that I had to make out loud. I'm writing a book. 
And I went to my mailing list and I told them I'm writing a book. So I told thousands of people that I'm writing a book. Once I told them I'm writing a book, I had to put a book out. Um, and so I went, I, I would go to, I, was, I started writing my book when I was in New York. So, and I was living in Brooklyn, but I would go to Harlem to write. So I went to a Harlem coffee shop to write and I would just sit there for hours and just kind of just like write whatever was on my mind. And that was becoming so difficult. I did that for weeks, but it was just so difficult. I just felt like I was staring at white pages and I couldn't get anything out. So I started going online. I was like, how do you write? How do you write a book? <laughs> and I found these writing prompts where you know you'll 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 have you'll write you'll ask yourself a question about what it is that you're writing about and you'll answer the question in under five minutes then you'll take a break and then you'll write another question and then you'll answer it in five minutes on a timer i found that to be difficult too i i stopped writing on my way to moving to la and i moved to la i didn't write for like seven months and i was like i don't know how i'm gonna get this book done Everything I wrote in New York, I just kind of threw away. I was like, this is not going to work. This is not even what I want to write about. So I asked myself a serious question. I think I can't write this book because it's not really what I want to be writing about. And I literally made a decision. I was like, how can I write something that I actually mean? Like, like that's what I mean to say. The only way I can do that is if I'm at a coffee shop and I'm talking to a friend. And they're asking me a question or I'm on the phone and my friend calls me because he's tired of his job and he needs some advice. That's how that's when you get the most realist conversation from me. And so I literally took out my iPhone, clicked on voice memo and started talking. I started talking like somebody was asking me for advice. And this is what I would say, young fella, if um you ask me a question, young fella. Like this is like what I would say to, if to an eighteen-year-old or a twenty-two-year-old or a twenty-five-year-old who can't find a job in this disrupted economy, or who's just looking to find their purpose. Like this is what I would say to you. And I just had that conversation with myself in, in a series of voice memos in Inglewood when I lived in Inglewood, California, and in my kitchen. And I would just I interviewed myself. Um, and so in my in my old iPhone, I just had like at least. Hundreds of voice memos. So I took those voice memos, emailed them to myself, transcribed them all. And all of a sudden I had this book with like 60, 70,000 words. So had this book, had all this content um, and it really didn't mean anything. Right. It was just a bunch of thoughts. It wasn't really like a cohesive um, uh, piece. Uh, So it was just a bunch of stuff. Uh, but it also wasn't enough content. So a lot of that stuff was fluff. It was just like me talking. It wasn't even like, okay, you should never print this. Um, so I literally started taking out the best parts. So I look at the best parts and then I would go into Evernote and I would just take out the best part and then I would write. I would like bullet, add more information to that point. Um, and so that's literally how I started to create more content. I would just take the best and then I would bullet uh, to writing more content. And I would add things like data or research or some sort of story or quote um, within those bullet points to continue creating content on top of that content that are, was already there. So all of a sudden, before I knew it, I just had <clears throat> thousands of words, but I didn't really know what to do with it. Um, because it's still at that point, the book was not called Get Your Life. The book was called Ambition Tax. 
Um, and it just didn't really make sense. I was like, but I still knew the point. The overall vibe of the book is that I just wanted to be inspiring. That's it. That was my only goal. Like I want this to be inspiring and I wanted to touch people's lives. That's it. But what it's about, I, I can't, I don't know. I didn't know what it was about the whole time I was writing it. Um, no. so after, <laughs> so after I wrote it, um, I was like, I need an editor. So I went to upwork.com. Same here. Yep. And um, I found uh, an editor who first helped me to structure the, the words uh, and put it into context for me. Um, so she literally took stuff from the ending and put it in the beginning and basically created a beginning, middle and end for me uh, without changing words. And then after that, she sent it back to me. I looked at it. and I was like, oh, my God, I know what my book is about now. My book is about if you if you've ever fell down before. Uh, what does it take to get back up? Like, that's what the book is about. And if you've ever felt defeated, um, you know, what does it take to, to rise again? And that's what the book is about. And so I didn't know that until she actually sent that back to me. And I looked at the work and I was like, wow, that's what the book is about. And after that, I sent it to another editor who did more of a grammatical check um, for me. So it was just like, you know, periods and commas and colons and uh, all of that stuff. And on the design front, I designed my book. So um, I do have a background in Photoshop. I have a background in designing stuff. So uh, from the font choice to how the book looks, all of that stuff is 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 all me. But that in short and in long, that's how my book Get Your Life came to be. Yeah, yeah. I love that because I think in, in general, what you said is crazy. I think one of the deepest quotes of, of all time is like, if we don't take yourself so seriously, then you'll put yourself out there to 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 get changes to your your original idea not the original idea but the context and most importantly you put yourself out there to getting it done putting it out because so many people already i know people that have had their book already written for 10 years but they don't put it out because i was like yo guy like you're not a celebrity like put it out nobody's gonna look at the oh like like put it out like get 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 it out so you can go on to the next one so true well yeah you know one thing um one thing that helped me put the book out was a strategic decision so I wanted to inspire people, yes, but I also had a strategic um, decision that I wanted to make, which I wanted to speak, do more speaking engagements or even be considered to do it to see that if there was something I actually wanted to do. And it turns out after traveling to Johannesburg and like I'm, uh, all these places, London, and I'm like, do I, and then Boston and New York and Atlanta. I'm asking myself, like, do I really want to speak? Like, you know, do I really want to be on planes all the time? Do I really want to do that? Uh, but I did that from a strategic vision because I was like, I want people to – in order to speak, you have to have a book uh, to even be considered. So I was like, OK, that's one reason why I was like, I need to get this book out quickly. Uh, but also I wanted to get more writing engagements. So, you know, this is also a portfolio. Like for people who don't even read the book, they just know I wrote one. Um, in their minds, I'm a writer. One of the biggest revelations I came to, and people people laugh at me for saying this, but or think I'm weird for saying this. Not even laughing, think I'm weird. But you're you're you can be a writer, you can be a good writer, you can be a bad writer, but you're still a writer. So regardless of what people say about you, or regardless of how um, in, in how influential the work becomes in the world, is a New York Times bestseller, or if people totally said it sucked. Either way, you're a writer now. And if people can get over themselves and realize that you might not you might not write the next New York Times bestseller. But what if I told you that my book that is not known around the world has sent me around the world? What if I told you that I get speaking engagements from that book? What if I told you that I get writing work from that book? What if I told you that I get voiceover work from that book? 
would it change the way that you think about how you think about yourself and the opportunities that can come with who you are, not what you've seen out in the world. If you want to be the next Charlemagne, the God, or if you want to be the next Malcolm Gladwell, the next Gary Vaynerchuk or whomever is some sort of author or the next Stephen King or whatever. Um, a lot of times what keep what holds writers back is that they see those images and that's what they believe that they should become, that if they don't reach those levels, uh, what they believe to be levels, um, then, then, then they should, then this book is not going to be successful or it's not worth it if I can't be perfect to reach those levels. And that's just not the case. Mm, yep. Yep. I love that. That is, I don't even had to add anything onto that. That just speaks volume in, in itself, man, itself. So, uh, before I get to our, our rapid fire round, um, I want to open up the door for this in August, late August. And I'm putting it out there as soon as I get, um, what I need to get from who needs to get, who needs to give it to me. I'm 75% sure that I'll, I'll I'm going to be attending, but I want you to speak on, your event that you have in August and why you decided to, to, to make the event, create the event and right. what type of impact is going to be. So we're doing, we're doing a retreat called encounter, um, at encountercamp.com. It's August 25th through the 27th in running Springs, California. Um, so it's a, it's VR breakout talks, s'mores night by the campfire mastermind sessions yoga, a bunch of wellness activities with a bunch of black creatives um, in the California mountains. For one weekend, about 25 people, uh, we think it's going to be transformative. Right now, there's a lot of people coming in from out of town, and we're so excited to, to have them. So there's a lot of people who are not even in LA. People from New York, from Maryland, DC, Chicago, people come from everywhere. Um, the reason this event came about is I got laid off from my job in uh, last year. And I, at the time I was, I was having a digestive issue. So I was having an acid reflux, like to the 10th power. And so when I got, when I got laid off, it was like, it was on top of being sick for the first time in my life to that capacity. So everything I felt like, like was just going downhill. It was just like, I just got laid off. Like I showed up to work, like it was a regular day, like ready to, like I had my coffee in hand and everything and like got fired. So it was just like a shot to my confidence. And also I was not physically feeling well. So a friend of mine who didn't know that this happened, um, reached out to me and was like, yo, you want to go on a retreat on a wilderness retreat? I'm like, what? Um, I don't know. Uh, he's like, yeah, we're going to, we're thinking about going to the middle of the desert for, for, uh, for the weekend. Um, you know, we don't know, I don't know what's going to happen out there, but you know, I think we should, we should do it. You know, just clear your mind or whatever. And I was like, but yeah, like I, and initially I was just like, but yeah, mountain lions and like coyotes, like, don't they eat you? Like, you know, I'm sure you don't want to be out there, um, and open yourself up to this kind of danger. Um, plus, you know, black people don't do this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that, that, that's what I said. To, that's what I said to this bit. Uh, he's not black, but, uh, but I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go on this, um, on this trip. So it was him, me, it was Todd, Jess and me. And we went out there, three of us to San Diego, to the middle of the desert, um, about an hour and a half in, two hours into the, to like the middle where there's no 
other life um, and set up shop. So built a, a tent and was eating freeze dried food and drinking water from the mountains. And we hiked everywhere. And it was just like one of those things where I, for the first time in my life, I said to myself, wait, this is why I have legs. Like it, as weird as it may sound, it was one of those things where I was like, I, I, I never really, you, I, I never really took appreciation for my legs because when we were hiking, it was just like, I started realizing I was capable of some of this stuff. Some stuff that I just never really put my mind to. Like, I never really said I should be hiking. I do it a little bit here in LA, but it's more of the commercial friendly stuff. Like this stuff was like rocky and uncomfortable. Uh, And I was like, okay, if I had to survive in these things, I think, you know, my human, my natural human instincts would let me survive. So I came out of that experience feeling very refreshed, feeling very different about life and more hopeful happier um all the obstacles i thought were obstacles were no longer and i was changed i was transformed and i didn't expect it to be that way but i came back and i was telling chanel who's my girlfriend but also my partner in encounter she is an event planner so this is what she does for a living um so she plans everything from weddings to conferences all this stuff um, so I came back to her and I'm like, yo, I really want to do something like this, but for black people, like, I really want people to see the, the value in something like going on a retreat or hiking, um, or go, taking yourself away from the digital devices for a weekend. Like what can happen? Cause I really believe in that. We sometimes like the guy that took me, um, r- ran a, a multimillion dollar, um, startup in LA. Um, but I, you know, you start seeing these people, all the other people who are out hiking, and you're like, wait, how did these people come up with great ideas? Like, how do actually how do great ideas actually happen? Where do they form? How do people get out of their own way? And sometimes you think it's going to the gym or it's maybe doing some yoga or, or sitting on the TV, watching the Kardashians for a night and just forgetting your problems. But when you start realizing how people actually create things, create change in the world, it's through retreats. Um, and people grow up doing this stuff. So I came back and I was like, Chanel, I really want to do something like this. But we were like, we don't want to take people out to the mountains um, or to the middle of nowhere, because uh, that's going to be a hard sell telling people they need to go to the middle of nowhere um, and be open to mountain lions or something like that. Um, so we're like, let's do something that's that's the same idea, but let's do it. Let's let's kind of meet in the middle ground um, to where it's away from society, but it's also enough to where it's like feel safe. So we chose um, Pali Mountain Retreat, which is uh, well, Pali Retreat Center, which is. Um, a retreat center. It's a bunch of acres. It's uh, always staffed. Um, it's cabin living, bunk bed style, s'mores night, um, hiking. There's walking trails. Um, there's a and you're on top of a mountain. Uh, and so we were like, this is like the perfect middle ground. And so yeah, we 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 designed uh, the retreat to be a transformative experience and to really kind of focus on building relationships for life. So building new friends for life, meeting people from around the country, and in, in a contextual space, um, in a guided space. Um, and we, we thought that this was the best way to roll that, that, that vision out. Man, that's, it's going to be new. Um, I, I definitely, it's, it's, it's right up my alley. I got to see how my, my speaking schedule lays out, but it's like something brand like, like person from my background. Uh, I just, I, I wouldn't even think to do that, but now, you know, in the digital space and, Especially for those entrepreneurs or change agents that, man, you, I know people that haven't took vacations in years or not even a vacation. Cause I wouldn't even say this is a vacation. It is, I don't know how to even kind of put it into words. It's self care for the creative soul. Mm, say no more. Just leave it there. 
Self-care for the creative soul. <laughs> right there. Okay. Because that's the magic. That's why I like marketing people. That's simple. Self-care for the creative soul. <laughs> hey, it's right there. Leave it there. <laughs> Sometimes in speeches, I'm like, I didn't enter the speech after like 16 minutes before because I'm like, yo, I've said enough. I said it all I can. And then, so, and then you have pastors that go for an hour and a half and like, yo, you crushed it for the first 15 minutes. And then right. you just did an hour. Like, yo, get off the stage, man. Go ahead. Leave, leave, right. leave them where they need to go. So creative experience. No, what is it again? Say it one more time. It's self-care for the creative soul. Boom. Boom, boom, boom. So, man, yo, let's jump into our culture change round where I ask a series of rapid fire questions to get rapid fire answers, man. You ready to rock? Let's do it. All right, cool. Let me, uh, let me get this joint straight. All right, all right. <clears throat> what is the best piece of advice that you have never received? Don't follow your dreams. Mm. Explain that a little bit. The market, the economy has certain needs and the jobs are available to the people who can meet those needs. So if you have a function that doesn't fit into a category, you may find that your path to getting to where you want to go is difficult. The economy only has a few jobs. And what I mean by jobs, I'm not just talking about traditional jobs. When I say jobs, I'm talking about everything, whether you're an entrepreneur or whatever. Um, if you follow your dreams, you're going to follow a path that potentially may not have an opportunity for you. Um, but if you follow the economy and the market, then you can better fit yourself into a box that works. Some people parade around saying books, there are books out there and everything that say, um, you know, be an outlier or be the purple cow. And I love Seth Godin, one of my favorite writers, but, you know, be different. But the problem with being different is that nobody can put you in a category. And when people can't put you like people when people with budgets can't put you in a category, um, if they can't put you in a category, then they can't pick you. They can't choose you. Now, if you're an established person in some field, it's easy to maneuver and do something weird and crazy. But if you don't fit into a box, it's very difficult. When I think about on a practical level, like a speaking engagement. When people are looking for speakers, they go to, I don't know, G Speakers Bureau, and they're looking for a motivational person, an inspirational person, a former coach, a, a, a former, like, I don't know, uh, a, a Navy SEAL. They're looking, like, for specific categories. So what category do you fit in? And instead of saying you want to be a public speaker, it'd be best if you actually went to go look. Like, I went and talked to a friend of mine who was actually one of my former agents um, who now works at one of the Speakers bureaus. And I had him look at a speech I did, and he said, yeah, but what is, what is that about? He's like, Kareem, you do realize that you're like you're competing against people who like got their legs blown off in, in Afghanistan. And I was like – like he opened my eyes when he said that because I was thinking like, yeah, I definitely would pay – I would pay some – I would pay that person 15 grand to come to my conference and speak and inspire my sales team. Like that's who I would choose if I was looking at me and that person. And it was it opened my eyes to this idea of categories and boxes that for so long we've been taught to think outside the box that that's actually been our detriment when mm. people with budgets choose people in categories. Mm. Ooh. Leave it there. Leave it there for my speakers. Take note. Don't just say you're a motivational speaker. What do you speak on? I speak on empowerment, um, overcoming obstacles. Oh, okay. Well, there's a billion people out there that are like that. So I love that. It gets so niched down, so niched, especially if you're not a celebrity, so niched. That is like, boom, they can articulate 
why you're that person. Good man. Good job. My gosh, man. God, I hope y'all really taking all this in, man. This is some great stuff getting dropped. If you could add one, if you could add one habit and take away one habit from your life, what would it be? Mm, I love fast food. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to take that away. If I could take that away. If I could add one habit, it would be uh, uh, staying consistent with um, damn, I guess they both eating both of these, both of these have to do with diet. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, they both have to do with diet. Uh, what, like I really wish, and, and I'm really, and I'm, and I'm actually reaching my goals. Um, I'm looking to get a six pack, um, this year. And so I'm like really like trying to alter my diet in such a way that allows me to do that, but also hit the gym in a way that allows me to do that. So I'm like, I want that. I've been trying to get this habit of, going to the gym and also thinking about what I eat um, and just being very um, uh, balanced on that. Mm, love that. Love that. Love that. So what is your favorite book and why? My favorite book these last three years has been Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 the reason I picked up that book is because of the agency I was working for at the time they were i was doing a project for the walking dead so they were doing stuff stuff for the amc like creating graphics for amc so i was watching the walking dead and i got into the walking dead and i was like watching like season five like and it was like crazy i was like why are they eating people like what's going on like th- i thought it was just about zombies but it wasn't so i was so enthralled with the walking dead story and i started talking to one of my colleagues and she was like do you know what book that this is like they make all the producers read and i was like what book she's like man search for meaning by victor frankel and i'm like oh and this is at the time where I was writing my book, too, and I needed to get some other like literature inside of me um, because I was reading James Baldwin at the time, W.B. Du Bois. Like, I was reading like a lot of black stuff, and I was really like in this black empowerment space, but I needed <laughs> something else that was, like, that was just very different um, just to get my brain's juices flowing. So I started reading Man's Search for Meaning, man, and like – it was it, the book is it, to me. It's one of the greatest books ever written. It's very short, and I'm sure there's other books out there. And I'm sure like people will say like there's some probably a book on um, the Atlantic slave trade that's probably even more impactful than this. But this is a book about a man's experience in the Holocaust. Like he was, and this is kind of like Twelve Years a Slave. But um, he was he was a free man, and then he went to he went to the Holocaust and saw people eating each other, and saw like they were making soup one time, and he saw human skin inside of there. Um, but he was talking about like how the people weren't bad people. They just did a bad thing. Like the people who were in the Holocaust, like, and, and, and like, like the guards, like he was just saying that they were human too, that they were just victims of their circumstances, that they were making decisions based on like their own, their own, that's a big self, statement. Um, their own motives. Um, and that they were not bad people. And he was just, he kind of, he, he laid out a, a whole, a whole like, um, argument in the book. just talking about, about that, that people who aren't good, they aren't bad. They're just victims of their circumstances. And he was like, you know, what would you do under those same circumstances? But the book kind of talks about like just, just suffering and, and, and finding meaning in life and finding meaning in your story. And it kind of came out, I can't, after reading that book, I came out thinking to myself that like you, the things that you think are your detriment, the things that you think are your flaw, the thing that you think is like your weakness um, and you think it's like you look at other people and you say, oh, man, they have that or or she's beautiful. Why am I not? Why am I not beautiful? 
or he has a hairline. Why wasn't I able to get a hairline? <laughs> um, right. And so like, but the book is, is kind of like taking ownership of your story. Like you have a story, you're one in a billion, like you are unique. You have your own story and your story will be your life. Like that's your life. You know how many people want to be Oprah? There's no other Oprah. You know how many people have tried? There's no other Oprah. There's other people out there that do things, but everybody wants to be Oprah. Well, everybody can't be Oprah, but you will be something. You will be someone. And so reading that book kind of made me really take ownership of my life and take ownership of my story and to start putting my story out there and realizing that that's my competitive advantage in the marketplace as we get back to practicality and like real world is that's my like that's my competitive advantage my competitive advantage is that i'm from brooklyn that i do bring that flavor but i also went to college and i got a bachelor's degree uh i also do campaigns for cnn like so that you know it's just being real authentic about who you are and what you are and that there is no competition when you are doing what you doing what you've been called to do uh, so, man, that's a long explanation for man search for meaning. I, like, we're, I'm, I'm actually giving a couple of those away at an event this weekend because I want everybody to read that. Oh man, I love that. Yo, so many, so many jewels. I got It's been on my list. You've convicted me. Let me write that down. I'm taking copious notes for I, for the people of the podcast. Every time I interview a podcast, I usually take so many notes myself. Like, I don't do this. Uh, hold on, hold on. Like. I challenge everybody to always be a student. I don't care what level you think you're on. Everybody, I can learn something from everybody. So I, I it just kills me when, uh, especially I be at church and people are giving the words and you get sick of some people. And I, I, I'm not a guru. I'm not a judge, but put my, ju- I'm going to put my judgment cap on. I'm looking at people like, and they act like that word doesn't apply to them. I'm like, mm. they're, they're, and somebody come out of the church and my son needs to hear that word. Yeah, that, that word was for you. That word's for me. Like, what do you mean? So I, mm. I, I never, I never, I, I promise I'll never get to a point where, where I get a chance to interview some minds that think so differently that I've experienced so many experiences I haven't experienced and don't take notes and don't take it for granted because I'm making a weekly thrive video today about it. I'm putting it on YouTube about how many times a lot of us are just not present that we miss so many opportunities that are around us. Like if you were right. present as a bouncer, right? If you were just saying, man, this is a whack job, dog. Like I could be doing this. I used to get paid. Uh, $20,000 a month doing voiceover. They got me as a bouncer. Your attitude is wrong. Your energy is wrong. I guarantee that LA opportunity when it came to you. And if it did, you would have been ready to take it. I right. guarantee. It just, but, um, so I just challenge people. I, I love the fact of the, the, the way the energy of this podcast is just to be more present because I guarantee the opportunities are, that are around you. They are there. You cannot act like you have not had an opportunity. It's your problem yeah. if you haven't taken advantage of it. But every single day. Yeah, everything. I think everything matters. Um, everything matters and everything doesn't matter at the same time. Like, so <laughs> you can put you can you know, this is your life. Like, this is real. We're doing this podcast right now. Like, this is a real thing. It's happening. It's it's live um, it, and it's happening. It's like, you know, it, it's but it's the realization that that this is real, that this is a part of our story, both of our stories. Um, and this is life up to this moment right now. Like, so it's just like this moment is important. And I think sometimes we don't realize that what we've been asking for is happening right now. Uh, we're always looking for like that next thing. Like, Oh, I have an interview later today. Or, Oh my God, I got to, uh, no, the thing that you asked for is happening right now. And this is life. And this is your life. Uh, and this is exactly what you asked for and you got what you asked for. Um, but it's the realization that, 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 that is happening. 
and that, that being present in the moment um, and understanding what that moment really means um, can help greatly in how you see yourself and how you see your life. Mm, love that, man. So our last question of this fire round before we do our culture change question is, if you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do and why? Give black people reparations mm. because black people are so genius, so brilliant, and they are living in America and in some societies around the world that have oppressed them. And people think that they can work hard and achieve, and that's mostly true. But the reality is when you have people who live in a society who had slaves for 400 years, well, they're 400 years ahead of you. You can get, a, you can get ahead a lot if you had somebody do the work for you for free. Uh, and then your ancestors built businesses on that. And they turned out to be like, uh, I'm not going to name any corporations or anything like that, but they turn out to be these huge corporations that don't look like slavery. But anyway, those mm. things were created on the backs of people <clears throat> and their labor for free. And so if I became president, I would give black people the shortcut, <laughs> the cheat code mm. and um, deliver trillions of dollars in reparations, which is why they would never let me become president. <laughs> I love that, man. So as we wrap it up, I, I always have this last question for everybody that's on the show. And I consider everybody that's on the show a culture change agent. Everybody that's listening, took the time to listen to this podcast and been a believer, been a fan, been a supporter, a culture change agent. So this question is to this. This question is to this. <laughs> if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? I want people to know that they're brilliant. I want people to know that they're genius. And I want people to take that seriously. I want people to do something with it. I meet so many people. Uh, black people. Um, and with, it's, it's been in America and now in Africa, too, where I meet so many people who are brilliant and they don't know it. And I think it's because of society, because society doesn't support you. It doesn't celebrate you. So you don't really realize how brilliant you are that, yeah, you might have a peer of yours, some person that runs a startup in L.A., and you're smarter than them. But you don't really know that. So you look at them and you might think they know something that you don't, which is sometimes true, but it has nothing to do with how genius and how brilliant you are. So if I could change one thing, I'm just like, I want people to realize how brilliant they are, how genius they are, that their ideas matter, um, that if they put more of those ideas into the world, they have a shot at creating the change that they seek to, 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 to create. Um, and, and if people could realize just the power that they had. Um, to change, like to create moments in culture, um, they would create something impactful. Boom. I'm leaving it right there. Uh, as we, as we conclude, man, first and foremost, I just want to say thank you, uh, for, for giving us this time, adjusting your schedule, waking up early. I know it's early out there to, to, to deliver. And I'm calling one of, one of the best interviews that I've ever done. I mean, I really, uh, wow. I, I say that, I don't, I don't say that in jest. I say that uh, authentically because there were so many tangible, real stories, but also so many points that, man, if you just apply, like if any, uh, if you just apply the principles from this podcast, um, that, that, that you've talked about at length, then I mean, it's, it can create a whirlwind of thought change that will allow you to create the change you want to see in your life, man. So I, first of all, I appreciate that. Uh, 
and I want to give you the opportunity, man, to share with our audience, man, where they can find more information at about you, about what you do, contact you, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, well, first, I do want to say thank you, Greg, for having me on this podcast. Um, I think it's so rare that you run across art, and I consider this podcast to be art, that you run across art that 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 does something to your soul. Right. Like you, you see things every day. We're so we, we see all the advertisements, we see podcasts, we read books and all this stuff is like pushed in our face. But in all of that stuff, there's like a needle in the haystack. And that's like something that there's like that there's a diamond. And I just feel like this podcast, when I first heard it uh, with um, John Jackson, I realized there was something different, like something different was happening. And I feel like real recognizes real. Mm hmm. And I feel like people need to know that. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I was like, I want to be a part of that conversation mm -hmm. and I want to know what they know. Um, so, and I want to, and I want to be a part of what that is in that history making thing. So thank you for allowing me to be a part of history. So I just want to say that on one end. The other thing is I really feel like it's what you've created here is a, what a lot of other people can create. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of what you talk about is how people can do that. Um, and you do a lot of work on that, but it's, 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 I, I just really want people to start really thinking about their own brilliance and thinking about what they bring to the table. Um, and it's like, it's like that one thing that you keep saying that you're not good at, but it's at the top of your mind. It's the one thing you're saying, I'm not good enough yet at. Like, that's the thing that you're actually good at. Like, that's your competitive advantage. Like, it's not going to get any better than that. Like, you're not going to you're not going to find this other new skill thing or whatever that's going to be magical and come to you out of nowhere. And you're going to have hands to, like, I don't know, be a famous artist or musician to play the guitar or something like that. The thing that you're doing right now is the thing that is going to take you to where you want to go. And that's always a message that I try to share with people and provoke people into thinking about and the right people will hear exactly what I'm saying. Mm. That's it. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, you hit it right squarely on the head. And I tell people all the time, especially in this creative space, especially if you're constantly putting stuff in the atmosphere, a lot of people look at views. A lot of people look at the stats. A lot of people look at mentions. A lot of people look at followers, fans, uh, supporters, but all it takes is that one person, one of the, like you said, that right person. If you have, because we always look, oh, I had 13 views on my YouTube channel. Maybe I should stop making videos. You don't know who that one view was. Like that's so so true. <laughs> you don't know that one view could be an executive at Sony that's looking for somebody that would just like you. He stumbled across and he's like, "F mm -hmm. it, let's bring him on." Like we don't know. Like we always mm -hmm. we always discredit the the we especially if it's under hundred, we discredit that. But we don't have that science yet to let us know exactly. A, we'll probably get the science of sooner or later the exactly person that is viewed it. But we don't know their mental context or where they were at that stage. We don't know their needs, their wants. We don't know if you could feel them. Like, we don't know. But we we stop at 10 views, 20 views, 30 followers, 30, whatever. And then we, we I don't know, like, I had people that won't release a book because they said I don't have 5,000 followers yet. How stupid mm. is that? Stupid. Mm. That's stupid. No, that's stupid. It's like, yeah. oh, brand. you talk about a brand strategy. Bro, you ain't no celebrity, bro. You don't need no brand strategy. <laughs> no, no, no. I want to be a motivational speaker. Everybody in your circle ain't even motivated. Why you want a stage? Why you want to grab a mic? Like seriously, like I want to be a relationship counselor. You have not had a relationship. 
You cannot right. write a book on that unless you're gonna unless you're gonna own like like what you said. If you're gonna own your weirdness to say how not to be in relationships and, and talk exactly. about exactly why, why don't we invert like that? We should, we should right. be invert more. Right. You you know you did talk about that in the beginning. I think where you talked about like that talk that I did on embracing your weirdness, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's like living your truth. You don't know how a good marriage works because you never had one. And hey. That's a book right there. <laughs> that's your next that's topic. That's a series right there. That's what people can relate to. You trying to be right. the best alone relationship. People can relate to not being be, – people can – honestly, let's be real. People can relate to being horrible parents. People can relate to be horrible mm-hmm. employees. People can relate to be horrible bosses, all this stuff. But we're just trying to say, okay, how can I broadcast the best image of myself? No, own your uniqueness, but I love it. Um, I'm actually going to put that one of the, <laughs> this is going to be one of my speaking titles on your difference. I, I, you said it. I was like, oh man, that's, 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 I can go forever on that. Cause I mean, the difference, what people shun, that is, that is what their gift. That is it. Um, right. but where can people find more information about you? And then where can people sign up to see, hear more about and to potentially register for the, your retreat? Uh, people can sign up at encountercamp.com backslash register. Um, that's the, the quickest way. We're also on Instagram. You can join the Instagram community at Encounter SoCal. So that's S-O-C-A-L. That's what we call Southern California. Okay. And, and on you, yeah. you, you can you can find everything. Oh. <laughs> and to get in touch with me, I'm at KareemTaylor.com. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is there. And every on every social media platform, I am Kareem Taylor. That's K-A-R-E-E-M-T-A-Y. L O R. And I think the last thing I, w- I was thinking about just now is the average entrepreneur's age is 38 years old. And I think a lot of people who, young people, even millennials, uh, r- try to be something so much that they, they rush themselves to become something, to be something in the world. And a lot of times you're just building those building blocks. And you have to keep in mind the statistics behind when people actually reach success and why those statistics are what they are. And if you can match that science with your brilliance, um, the, the, the opportunities are, are endless. Mm, I love that. And I would say one thing to that too. Um, I think, and we can, we could talk for days, but I know we got to end. I think the biggest thing with that is of, of course we see so many young entrepreneurs on magazines or whatever. And sometimes it warps our head to believe like that's the norm. But to be in the reality, as you look at, like you said, you look at statistics and the data, majority of these people we see are unicorns. They're people with specific genius, specific opportunities, specific connections that they've had um, earlier in life. And sometimes they, they just they hit the, at the right moment. And we, we put ourselves to that standard where a lot of people. And that's why this. If, hey, yo, I hope you all really listen. The man had an apprenticeship. He learned something at his core free. He had multiple free stuff that he learned at his core. So you, when you do apprenticeships, that allows you to kind of, even though, even if it's not paid, allow you to grow and to get a lot of low skill sets that you're going to need when you are really a real entrepreneur. But a lot of times people just jump into an entrepreneur and they haven't really had no pr- apprenticeship in their skill, their craft. And that's why so many people are, they're searching for answers at 23, 24, 28, 29 for their business and why it's broken. The business is not broken. It's just your skill set is broken. Like you just don't have the skill set just yet. You're like you're there, but not just yet. And I had to, I had to. It took me a while. I'm just at 27, even though I've been in this entrepreneurship space since I was hustling sodas and making a hundred dollars a day at 15. 
that's 12 years, but still it took me 12 years to realize, okay, Greg, this is how you start to begin to make money. Here's what different revenue streams look like. This is how you really operate 12 years. And I'm and like I said, I I'm around Harvard business folk, MLT, all that stuff. So, I mean, it just takes time. And I'm, I mean, I just really hope at the end of the day, as we close this podcast, everybody really, really they, that, that don't just listen to what he's saying in the stories, but really like take it in. And all my podcasts, don't just don't just look at the story. That's why I'm, I'm actually switching towards a live video format as I continue to, to, to go um, and expound the podcast and where I want to go with it. Because sometimes, I mean, I, I just want to paint a, a deeper visual because I don't want nobody to listen to this podcast. Oh, it's dope. It's cool. No, I think he hit, you hit something on the head. And that's why I'm ranting right now. And it hit a sore point with me because honestly, the whole goal and why I do what I do is to set the blueprint and the framework. So other people, y'all copy the strategy and go and do what you do. Like if you're listening to this podcast in a year outside of like, if this is what you want to do and you just enjoy experience, I'm, 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 I'm down with that. But my challenge to you, I, I want you to, to take your talent to the next level. Like take, take whatever you're doing. Like I'm, I'm for that. Even if you say, I, I want to, I want to do the same thing you do, but I want to attack it from a different angle. I'm for that. I love that. Push the culture forward. Don't just be clapping on the sidelines for me. Like, Oh, I see you on tour. I see you with a book. No, 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 no. I want to be clapping on this because we need more people like you. The world needs more people like, if people thought like that, imagine if the people thought like that, like, if the world had more of you, like what would it look like? I think people would act a little differently. Hopefully they would. Uh, but we can be there for days, man. I just want to say that, man. Like I said, I appreciate you, man. Everybody on, uh, that's listening right now, make sure, make sure you subscribe, tell a friend, tell a friend. Uh, make sure if I'm on, if you see, if you're in Houston, if you're in Atlanta, if you're in New York, I'm going to be on tour. Make sure you copy your tickets, get all that stuff. Um, and also make sure, make sure, make sure if you're interested, if you want to get out of creative rut, if you just want some freedom, some space, some something, make sure you sign up to attend this retreat. It's affordably priced too. Make it's affordably priced. It's not some $1,522,000 retreat that they're going to sell you one. It is affordably priced and I want to make sure you check it out. So my Northern Trouble as a Nation, thank you so from the bottom of my heart for you listening and you already know I need you to do one thing and one thing only. What is that, Mr. Hill? Change the freaking culture. Good night.